You want to talk about three voices that can fill up a room, huh? <laughs> they did a great job. Thank you guys so much. Um, well, hey, we're in uh, this series, Life in the Balance. Um, if you've been with us, um, you kind of know the path we're on. If you haven't, uh, what we're doing is we're taking a look at the, the Psalms through the lens of three kind of ongoing seasons of life that, that every one of us experience. We have uh, seasons of orientation and disorientation and reorientation. And the 150 Psalms in Scripture can kind of be filed into each one of those categories. And those three words describe movements in our life that will be this perpetual pattern for us this side of heaven. We'll constantly be moving from one of those seasons to the next. In seasons of orientation, when things are kind of going as they should be, or at least they feel like that, and our focus is joyfully on our Creator, we have to wisely be aware that at some point, disorientation is coming, right? Because we live in a broken world. We're surrounded by broken people, including us. And so calamity and heartache are destined to find us. But in those difficult seasons of disorientation, if we lean into God and seek him through it, we can be assured that a new season of reorientation is on the way. And we see this cycle play out really well in the life of David. Um, He's kind of the primary writer of the Psalms. And when we're first introduced to David, it's in um, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and he's the youngest son of Jesse, and he's out tending the sheep while his older brothers are off fighting at war. But God is unhappy with the current king of Israel, Saul. And so he directs the prophet Samuel to travel to Bethlehem to the family of Jesse, and he says, I'm going to have you anoint a new king. So I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 16. It's page 403 in your pew Bibles. <clears throat> 1 Samuel 16, we're going to start uh, in verse 10. It says, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So David is chosen to be the next king of Israel, but God hasn't removed the current king, Saul. So David is about 15 years old at this time, and he embarks on kind of this long and strange journey. And things start out really well. You guys know the story. You know, he beheads Goliath, and, um, you know, this is his huge deal. And then he goes off, and he leads the armies of Israel, even as a young man, and has tremendous success, and they sing praises to David and all the, the enemies that he's killed. And this seems like a season of relative orientation, right? Things seem to be going well. And all the while, David is serving under this evil king, Saul, and did nothing but treat him with respect 
and deference as the Lord's anointed at the time. But quickly, as you read, Saul starts to become jealous of David to the point where he actually tries to kill him, but David is able to escape. And for the next several years, David is literally on the run for his life. And he's hiding out in caves. He's pretending to be insane so he can hide in the land of his enemies. He's kind of surrounded now by this cast of of misfits that are following him. And here's the thing is that there's no timetable in mind for how long this is going to go on like this. Where was God's promise now? And there are a lot of psalms of disorientation written, written during those years of wandering and loneliness and confusion in that period of his life. In fact, it was about a 15-year span between the time that he was anointed until the time that he actually took the throne at, at the age of 30. And, and I thought about this as I was, I was writing this. I thought, you know what? <clears throat> Unknown timelines are rife for disorientation. You ever been in a season where you're just like, I don't know how long this is going to go on or when this is ever going to change, and that unknown timeline is just so disorienting for us. But eventually, Saul dies, and David consolidates the kingdom, and then he goes and he conquers Jerusalem, and he decides, I'm going to build my, my palace here. So about 10 years later, that's finally complete God had answered David's cries for help and rescued him from this dark hole, this daily reality for years. And now we find a much different David who's writing a psalm of reorientation that we find in Psalm 30. So we're going to go ahead and run, turn, turn our Bibles there to Psalm 30. It's page 791. Page 791, Psalm 30. David says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. David says, I will exalt you, Lord, no matter what anybody else is doing because I've seen your hand in my life. I know that you lifted me up out of this, the depths of my despair. And these first three verses are really the salvation story for all of us. Regardless of what our earthly story looks like or feels like at any given moment, we have all been given the opportunity to be rescued and healed and delivered from the pit of hell by Jesus's death and resurrection. And that good news alone should inspire praise from our lips. That good news never changes, no matter what our circumstances are. So we can always praise him, whatever season we're in. And what did this deliverance process look like for David? Well, it it talks about at the beginning of that, that passage there. It says, that David called out to the Lord for help. And other translations probably more accurately translate that, that David cried out to the Lord. Is that where we turn in moments of disorientation in our life? 
Do we cry out to our Father for rescue? Is that the first place we go? The Psalms are filled with David crying out to the Lord for help. I just threw up kind of three different examples here from the Psalms. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Psalm 55, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Psalm 57, I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. And so you see this pattern in David's life. When you think of a baby crying out for their parent, I think of someone who is determined to be soothed and rescued, right? And they are demanding (laughs) our attention. It's not a whimper. It's a roar. And so I want to ask you this question, parents, really anybody can answer this. What are the assumptions that a child makes when they cry out for their parent? What are the assumptions that they're making, even unconscious, like that their parent will come? Okay. What else? Yes, Rob. That they cannot meet their own need. Wow, that's, that's a great point. I hadn't thought of that. That's good. They're aware that you know, nobody's changing this diaper, right? Except somebody else who knows how, right? To give them comfort. Yeah, they're going to comfort them, right? With whatever that is food, you know, passing, whatever. Anything else? Yeah. That, okay. Yeah, they assume that, that, like you, you're, you, you, that they need to cry to, to find you, to get your attention, that you've, you've kind of left them for a moment, right? Okay? So, yeah, there's a lot of assumptions going on there, right? <clears throat> they assume that the parent cares, that the parent has the power to do something. So we, we keep that lens in mind when we're crying out to God that, that we know that we'll be heard, that he, that he cares for us, and that he has the power to do something about our situation. And this psalm, Psalm 30, is a huge shift from the psalm that we read last week that Dave did, Psalm 13, that was a song of disorientation. And if you looked back at Psalm 13, you would see uh, a lot of me language. And it's pretty common when our life kind of goes off the rails at different points to get pretty self-focused and to really be talking about ourselves. But you'll notice that this psalm is filled with you language. Just take a look at those first three verses. David says, you lifted me, you healed me, you brought me up, you spared me. You showed up, Lord, and you did more than change my circumstances. This is what Jack was just sharing. You did more than change my circumstances. You changed me. That's what God's most interested in. And from the sounds of verse 3, there were probably multiple occasions where God actually spared David's life. He spared his life with Goliath. He certainly spared it with Saul as well, and no doubt multiple close calls on the battlefield as a leader of men. If you think about, you know, if you've seen, you know, Gladiator or old movies, um, uh, Braveheart, you know, back then it's like hand-to-hand combat, right? (laughs) You're not sitting back firing bombs at somebody else. I mean, you're in the mess, And God had had saved him time and again. 
Are you keenly aware of what God rescued you from? Are you keenly aware of what God rescued you from? Anyone want to share their answer to that question? Just a word or a phrase. What did God rescue you from? Yeah, Jay. Yourself. Yeah. Tell me more about that. <clears throat> I do. I want more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that God rescued him from this, like him, him kind of thinking that he knew what was best for his life, right? What else? Yeah. 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 That's good. What else? What did God rescue you from? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A false sense of independence. Said. Anybody else? I think for me, if I was going to answer that question, um, I would say that God um, rescued me from a life of playing it safe. When I was in my 20s and was just kind of a young, you know, everything, young husband, young dad, you know, still kind of a young follower of Christ, um, we moved back to my hometown. I was teaching eighth grade history in the room I had eighth grade history in. <laughs> I was my high school coach's assistant cross-country coach. All my friends were pretty much people that I'd grown up with, um, going to church with a bunch of people that I knew. Um, and it was just very familiar, and it was very safe. And I couldn't understand after a few years of doing that why I still was so restless inside. There was just a sense of me of just like, this is just not, I mean, because I could, I could, you know, when you talk about unknown timelines, like in my mind at that point, it was like I could, I could see my life. You know, I'm going to retire here. I'm going to die in this house that I'm in. My kids are going to graduate from this high school. And I could, I could see my whole life just kind of mapped out according to my plan. And uh, I, I came across this prayer this week in, in the devotional that I'm going through. They, every day they have what's called a yielding prayer. And it said this. It said, disturb me, Lord, when I am too well pleased with myself. When my dreams have come true because I have dreamed too little, when I have arrived safely because I sailed too close to the shore. Ah, that was a season of my life where I was just sailing too close to the shore. And God just continued to stir up this restlessness in me. And, and, and part of it was just because of how I'm wired and the gifts that, that he'd given me and um, that I finally just had to come to him and say, okay, God, you know, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And when I was 30 and we started, um, 
on Young Life staff, and we moved our family to Raymore, Missouri. Like, I had no clue at that point then what the timeline was going to be. I had no idea what the next move was going to be. Um, I had no idea that I'd be doing this in St. Joseph, Missouri <clears throat> one day, right? I'm really thankful that God rescued me from, from my plan for my life. This is a reminder that David didn't get to the palace without a lot of years of disorientation, of heartache and loneliness and confusion and times, like Kelsey said, when we felt, he felt abandoned by God. And here's one thing I know to be true. Pain and suffering are the primary pathway to redemption and reorientation, resurrection. It was for Jesus, and it's going to be for us as well. Now, we don't pursue suffering, right? Nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, man, I just really hope pain and suffering just are what God has for me today, right? We don't chase after it. But here's what we do. We're ready for it. We're not surprised when the seasons of disorientation come. In the middle of his own horrific mess, when everything had been taken from him, Job uttered these words to reorient himself to the ultimate truth. In kind of the middle of the book, Job 19, he says this, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. <laughs> God, there is a tremendous amount of faith and confidence in the sovereignty of God in Job's voice there. Despite how horrible everything appeared, on the surface, what he could see with his eyes was not good. So after that powerful rescue, David gives us this call to action in verse 4. He says, sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You see, remembering the great works of God didn't only cause David to praise, but it also caused him to, to compel others to praise him. He says, you, his faithful people, in another translation, it says, you, his saints, praise his holy name. Hey, everybody else, get on board with me. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon, pastor, he commented, he said this, he said, you are his saints, chosen, blood-bought, called and set apart for God, and I love this next phrase, sanctified on purpose, that you should offer the daily sacrifice of praise. You see, our destiny is to praise him. It's why we were created. It reminds me of 1 Peter 2.9. Peter writes this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him 
who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We praise him and we compel others to do the same. Guys, that's the way it should look in Christian community. We share in each other's sorrows. We share in each other's victories. And sometimes we're singing songs of lament together. And other times we're singing songs of joy. But in all things, we mourn with those who mourn. And we rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And why? Why do we praise him? Verse 5 tells us. Because we serve a kind and gracious God. We may get disciplined or corrected by a loving father. Right? Scripture talks about this. (laughs) And it may be unpleasant for a season. But his love and kindness are constant and faithful for a lifetime. That's the heart of the God that we praise. The favor always outweighs the disfavor when we're his precious child. He is slow to anger. And abounding in love, that word abounding means plentiful, abundant. Look at what Paul writes in Romans 5.17. Paul says, for if by the trespass of the one man, he's talking about Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? You see, we serve a how much more kind of God, right? I love this quote again by Charles Spurgeon. He says, who would not be joyful that knows Jesus? That's a really simple statement, (laughs) but it's really profound, right? If you really know Jesus, How are you not joyful, regardless of your circumstances? You ever been around somebody who says that they're a Christian, but like you're with, you you never gain life being with them, right? There's just this kind of this joyless, lifeless blob is the word that came to my mind. I don't know if I can say that. I guess that's all right. I don't know, right? But you're just like, ugh. Like there's, and then you're around other people who are just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> their joy compels you to praise, right? It reorients you being around them. Usually when we're stuck in a season of disorientation, okay, so listen, we're all going to be in seasons of disorientation, but I think one of the markers of what keeps us there, that can keep us stuck there, is because we've forgotten who Jesus is. We've forgotten what he's done for us and what he continues to do for us each and every day. And sometimes we need our community around us to remind us who Jesus is in our life, right? That's a valuable and important role that we play for one another when our brothers and sisters are kind of stuck in their circumstances to come alongside them and say, hey, the story's bigger than this moment right now. Skip down to verse 11. David says, you turn my wailing into dancing. 
You removed my sackcloth, that's what they would wear when they would mourn, and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. From wailing to dancing, this broad spectrum of human emotion, David is saying, you change my countenance from one extreme to another. And again, this follows the path of the gospel as well. Christ's story, right, from this, the horrific scene of death, this unbelievable story and joy of resurrection, it's our story too, and it plays out many times in multiple seasons in our life. We're constantly moving through seasons of death and rather resurrection. And sometimes it's our actual circumstances that change, while other times it's just a change of perspective on our part to see our pain or suffering in a new light. So nothing's changed, but just our perspective has changed. And it, it's, a, it's a reorienting shift for us out of disorientation. I want us to open our Bibles to James chapter 1. It's page 1721. James 1, very familiar passage to a lot of us, verses 2 through 4. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy, not that it is pure joy to face trials and seasons of disorientation, but he says, consider it an opportunity to grow in maturity in your faith. Make up your mind that this season of struggle is serving a purpose in your life to make you more like Jesus, who had his own moments of disorientation in the garden and on the cross, right? He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, Father? The shift in circumstances or perspective, this reorientation, guys, it's a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. It only happens with the Holy Spirit's help. Look at what David said. He said, God turned, God removed, God clothed. God was doing these things to help shift his perspective. And why does he rescue and redeem us from the various pits of disorientation in our life? Verse 12, that we would praise him. That we would praise him. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> How did God know that David would sing? How did God know that David would sing, would praise him? I need to start having like multiple choice options on the board, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Partly is because that's 
That's how he was wired, right? He was a songwriter, right? What else? Will Palman in the back. <laughs> because he was a man after God's own heart, sure, that's, that's not a wrong answer. What came to mind for me was that he had a track record of singing. David sang. He sang when things were going well. He sang when things weren't going well. He sang when things got well again. God trusted that David would give a proper and appreciative response to deliverance. I want you to just, last uh, time we're going to look at something here this morning, Luke 17, page 1493. <clears throat> Luke 17, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I remember when I was a young Christian in high school, I don't even know if I was a Christian yet, honestly. Um, I was riding in, in my coach's van, and there's this old cheesy Christian song called, Where Are the Other Nine? And I remember hearing this story, and I'm listening to these lyrics, and I'm just like, yeah, man, where are they? <laughs> because, guys, here's the truth. Deliverance doesn't always lead to praise. Deliverance doesn't always lead to praise. Sometimes we just take God for granted. Hey, thanks for doing me a solid, for getting me out of that jam, right? The other nine lepers had a temporary change in circumstances, but not a change in heart towards their healer. See, sometimes when our circumstances change, we're just happy with that. True seasons of reorientation will be littered with markers of praise. True seasons of reorientation will be littered with markers of praise. Because what are we reorienting ourselves to? We're reorienting ourselves to who God is and to what he's done, not to a circumstantial change, right? Because in the reality of it, all those lepers now are just healed bodies physically 
that were still unhealed spiritually. Their eternal destiny hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is that they don't have leprosy for how many years they have left on this earth. That's it. The opportunity for eternal change was there to reorient themselves to a whole new understanding of who God is and what that meant for their lives, but they missed it. They chose to take the cheaper gift of just the cleansing and missed out on the bigger prize, the gift of eternity and relationship with their healer. As we close today, I just want to leave you with a few thoughts on this shift to reorientation in our lives. First, reorientation will be guided by a recognition of God's saving work on your behalf. You'll recognize who it's coming from. He lifts us out of the depths of disorientation. He heals us. He spares us. He turns our mourning to dancing. Secondly, God delights to hear our cries when we are struggling to remember the bigger story because of the weight of our present circumstances. For one, basically because it just means that we're seeking him. And he's happy about that, right? We're turning to him instead of other things that aren't going to solve the problem anyways. I love this promise in Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. It says, you do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. God delights to do those things when we cry out to him. And finally, even in the midst of the darkness of disorientation, we live with this ever-present hope that in Christ, our redemption is nigh. God is always coming for us. He's always reaching out to us to pull us out of darkness into his wonderful light. You guys, he is fighting for your heart. Scripture tells us that he is interceding before the Father on your behalf day after day after day. His name is on your lips. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what you're going to struggle with tomorrow and the next week, and he's already praying for strength. He's praying for humility. He's praying that you would keep your eyes on him and trust him through those times. You have an advocate in the battle. Don't lose sight of that when you're in a season of struggle or disorientation. You're wondering where God is. God's there. <laughs> but he's trying to mature us. He's trying to grow us. And the only way that he can do that sometimes is to kind of shake things up. Because sometimes we get into this habit of kind of thinking, I've got it. I've kind of got this life thing figured out. I've got a plan. I, 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 can, I can handle this. God comes along in his goodness, and he kind of takes it and maybe turns some things upside down. That could be your, your job, your career, your relationships, whatever it might be. And he says, no, I need you to see. I need you to trust in me. You don't know as much as you think you do. You need to be parented. You need to be fathered so that I can change you. We were made to praise him. 
And in reorientation, we're always looking back over our story and we're seeing the hand of God's deliverance on our behalf. Jesus didn't come to avoid the darkness of this world, but to make a way through it. He's always leading us to light as long as we're willing to follow him. Let's pray. God, as we come to communion today, God, I just um, pray that we would be mindful of the things that you've rescued us from. God, when we've been in those seasons of darkness and disorientation, when maybe there was no, no timeline that we could see of when this was gonna end, the heartache, the pain, the loneliness, the feeling of abandonment, the weight of just circumstances that just sucked the life out of us. God, we remember your rescue. And when we're in those seasons now, we look back on those other times and we remember when you parted the waters, when you brought the walls down, when you laid yourself down on that cross and took our nails when you walked out of that tomb so that we could have life. God, you're waiting to reorient us back to you. So I pray that you'd help us to remember that this morning and to trust in that. And if we're having a hard time getting there to cry out for help, and God, I pray that as a community of faith that we would come around one another, we would remind each other what is true when we can't see it for ourselves or feel it for ourselves. That we would be people filled with joy that would compel other people to praise. God, hear our prayers as we come to you.